Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we have our week in review with writer from Decrypt, Scott Cipollino. That's coming up on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Friday, January 7th, 2021. We got some snow here in Cleveland. First time this year. And it's almost actually almost the first time this year it went below freezing, too. We've been having a very good winter here in Cleveland. Let's get the snow to melt away, and then we can just never have snow again. That would make me very happy. I'm not a big fan of snow or short days. I got an email yesterday from Zach that really made me happy. I wanted to share with everybody because this is the inspiration that I want everybody to have from this point forward. Bull market, bear market, doesn't matter. Listen to this. Matthew, last year, you encouraged listeners on your show to work in the crypto industry. Now I'm writing this email from my new job. I'm issuing crypto-backed loans. Thank you for the encouragement. And that means a lot to me. It says that somebody went out there and did it. They went out there and they got a job in the crypto space and you can too. So if you think that this is an emerging industry with longevity and you want to just make a switch, go into it. Start applying. Start asking these companies that are growing rapidly. You have an opportunity. I actually, somebody just reached out to me the other day as well and said, how do I get started in the crypto industry? And they're working with uh, a, a project right now. They're volunteering. But again, I've had people volunteer for me before in the past, and that just led them into a new career and they are thriving now. So if you ever thought about working in the crypto industry, take the plunge, reach out to some companies and see if you can make it happen. I've been promising everybody my top 10 bands all week. And this was a lot harder than I thought. So I had to make some criteria because I had to figure out what is a band, first of all. And my criteria is there is, has to be a guitar, drums, and a bass, and singer. <laughs> so there has to be those people in it. And also that they have to be better as a band than they are individuals. And so why did I make that uh, requirement for this list? Is because, for example, Prince, Prince and the Revolution. You know, Prince is better prince is prince and the revolution is the revolution but I, you never think of the band as the band you just think of prince as the as prince right another one is say genesis you know genesis is an amazing band again i think that phil collins and peter gabriel by themselves was better than the band to be honest with you they're a great band but but phil collins and peter gabriel by themselves kilts it so drums guitar singer bass and they have to be a band that if they stood alone, I don't think that they would be as good as they were as a group. So here are my picks. Number one, Nirvana. And I, I'm going to go back to Nirvana Unplugged. I loved Nirvana growing up, but when I heard that Unplugged album, it changed the game. It was totally new, different. I just revisited it uh, a couple months ago, and I was just like, I actually I fell back in love with that album. Amazing album. Amazing group. Tool obviously. And the thing is, is Tool isn't on many lists. If you go to like uh, Rolling Stones list, 
you won't see Tool on there. And it's like, what are you guys thinking? What a phenomenal band. Rage Against Machine, it, obviously, I don't even think I need to say anything. Jimi Hendrix, now this is the one where I think we have to clarify again the rules that I said before. Jimi Hendrix by himself or with the band. Mitch Mitchell, the drummer for Jimi Hendrix, and, and just everybody in part of Jimi Hendrix's band made Jimi Hendrix. So you could not do Jimi without the rest of the band, especially Mitch Mitchell, that's my opinion. Led Zeppelin, obviously the band was was important. Led Zeppelin is one of them. Queen, you know, we have Freddie Mercury, but Queen was Queen, right? So Queen is in there. The Police, Sting kills it as a solo artist, but The Police is special. Dream Theater, and I'm talking about old school Dream Theater back in the mid-90s, mid-late-90s, early 2000s, when Dave Portnoy was the drummer. That's the Dream Theater I'm talking about. And probably my favorite band of all time, Dave Matthews Band. Great band. I'm talking about old school Dave Matthews back in early 90s to mid-2000s. I have not really... I'm not really jiving with the new Dave Matthews stuff, to be honest with you, even though they were my favorite band of all time. I know there's probably a lot of people judging me right here. <laughs> it's okay. This, again, is not going to pull well because there's so many bands that I'm not mentioning, the Beatles, the Doors. Again, I'm not. this is not going to pull well you know, because everybody has their favorite bands, especially with their era when they grew up and what have you. But, look, these were my picks, and I have some honorable mentions here. The Black Keys, that is an honorable mention. Genesis, obviously, uh, but I told you why I did not pick them for the top, but I'm going to put them anywhere. And one that doesn't have guitars, but in bass and drums per se, but they do, but they don't. And I didn't know where to classify them because if you're talking about niching down on, on different kind of uh, genres, then you really can get specific. But I, I'm going to put Bueno Vista Social Club in there because I didn't know where to put them. I'm not going to be doing this every day, by the way, telling you my favorite artists and my favorite singers and rappers and, and, and bands and so on and so forth. I might go for my top singers <laughs> of all time, my top solo artists of all time here maybe next week. But other than that, you're not going to hear this anymore, so I'm not going to bore you. This is a crypto show. But I, I want to put Brain of Vista Social Club on there because I, I, I had to put them somewhere because they were one of my all-time favorites. Anyway, let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 11.51 Eastern Standard Time. We got Bitcoin sitting at $41,707, down 2.8% in 24. Ethereum is at $3,186, down 6.3%. Tether's in the number three spot. Binance Coin is at $450, down 4.6%. USDC is in number five. Running off the top 10, we have Solana, Cardano, XRP, Luna, and Polkadot. Total market cap, we're at $1.98 trillion. Ooh, a BTC dominance of 39.8% and an F dominance of 19.1. And now it's time for coin of the day. Our coin of the day today is number 144 in coin market cap. It's called Serum. The ticker is SRM. The price today is $3.22. It's down 0.3% in 24. Market cap is 428 million. Fully diluted market cap is okay. 32.6 billion, which means there's like 1% of serum in circulation, which I, I, I would love to know the tokenomics behind this. All-time high was four months ago at $13.72. It's down around 80% since then. All-time low was a year ago at $0.11. Cents. It's up around 3,000% since then. You can buy it on Binance, FTX, Huobi Global, and Kraken. So what does serum do? 
Serum is a decentralized exchange, DAX, and ecosystem that brings unprecedented speed and low transaction costs to decentralized finance. There you have it. That's what they do. They're a DEX in DeFi with unprecedented speed. That's Serum, number 144 on CoinMarketCap, ticker SRM. And now let's get into our conversation today with Scott Chabalina with our week in review. I'll see you after. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The show. Scott Cipollino, writer from Decrypt. How you doing? Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you very much, Matthew. How you doing? I am, I am good. I am good, sir. Sir, today we have three topics for our week in review um, there's an obvious one, the Bitcoin price. It is absolutely tanking as we speak. It's been down 3% since I woke up this morning, and we're going to go get into that. We're also going to get into the ASA and an article that you wrote yesterday. But first, let's talk about the Bitcoin price. Let's talk about the crypto price in general. There's two catalysts to this price is what I feel. The first one is the Fed, and the second one is something that you brought up to me a little bit earlier, it's Kazakhstan. Can you just go into both of those, please? Yes, yes, for sure. So um, just to give readers some some early context here, just to look at the two largest cryptocurrencies by market cap, at least the two most well-known cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ethereum are down um, 11 and 14% respectively on the week and 4.5%, 7.8% in the last 24 hours. So they're definitely both in the red. Um, and yeah, I think that the two biggest indicators or, or influences over over this sort of shoddy start to the year for the crypto markets in general is that earlier this week, the uh, Fed announced or indicated rather that it could it, it, it's intending to move up its timetable for raising interest rates to sometime in March. And essentially what that means is the Fed is going to stop printing money and making and make it as a result more expensive to borrow. Um, and that has let that has sent US equities tumbling as well, not just the crypto market. And I think that there is generally a, a growing sort of narrative now that, you know, Bitcoin's price at least has become increasingly correlated to stock prices throughout the last year. We've seen a lot of that. So it seems to me as though that's an early indication of that continuing into 2022. And the uh, second factor here is, um, you know, there's been protests spread all across Kazakhstan now. They began in um on january 2nd it's they resulted in several deaths and, and hundreds of injuries it's a horrible situation that's going on now in kazakhstan but as it references to as it relates to the crypto markets um kazakhstan happens to be the second largest market for bitcoin mining in the world following china's crackdown on the mining industry throughout the previous year um kazakhstan essentially holds about 18 percent, broadly speaking a fifth really in essence of the global mining share um, so what we've seen as a result of these protests and amidst these protests is an internet shutdown, which has resulted in a drop in the Bitcoin hash rate. And I think that what we are seeing is that event essentially getting reflected in prices as well. So I think that those two issues have been, you know, those are the two of the most explanatory value when it comes to the crypto markets getting off to a bit of a bad start this year. 
And we do have to put a caveat on this because, you know, I went, earlier in the week, we uh, were talking about the Fed and their interest rates. And, you know, again, the correlation of Bitcoin to uh, the traditional markets. And so when the Fed was going to start, you know, pulling back a little bit earlier from its uh, the money printer going burr, we, we obviously are, are we're going to see uh, panic or concern or caution throughout the markets and people to pull money out, hold it, see what's going to happen. And then it's possible it, it, it'll, it'll jump back in. It's possible that it will not jump back in. One thing that we did not anticipate though with all of this was Kazakhstan and this is one of those I think black swan events that we could not have predicted uh, we know that all of the mining hash rates for Bitcoin moved from China <laughs> into uh, three three major territories now for Bitcoin hash rates that's the America obviously the United States uh, Russia and then number three is Kazakhstan and now that we have unrest in Kazakhstan and, and we're talking about serious unrest so you know, um, you know, I hope everybody in Kazakhstan and it doesn't escalate any further than it is because it's it's definitely turning into a crisis over there. But uh, yeah. juxtaposing this into crypto, the hash rate has in, in the Internet is dropped dramatically because of the relocating of, of Bitcoin miners to Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. And so. Scott Chipolina, do you think that we're going to see that this is going to be the start of the bear? I mean, look. Throughout 2021, we've 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 had these these pullbacks. I mean, we went up to 63,000 Bitcoin, then dropped well under 40 for a while there. Then we went back up, and then we dropped again. And so, is this as part of the the cycle, or do you think that we're actually changing the the landscape of economics throughout the globe here? Well, I think one one of the things that has been said across social media, and you know, again, amid the ongoing crisis in Kazakhstan. Um, putting obviously aside the you know the human cost and the political unrest to one side, which is the biggest story coming out of Kazakhstan. But with regard to the Bitcoin network, people have been saying that this actually demonstrates how the network itself has proven itself to be fairly resilient um, and continue and it has essentially continued to function without much interruption at the heart of a, a major political crisis. Uh, so that. You can you can see fairly straightforwardly how that would be considered to be a you know a fairly optimistic or bullish sign for Bitcoin's future, but again that's you know as I always say on this podcast that's ultimately quite speculative. Um, I also think that um, this you know goes to show that there is a a a significant chink in the armor when we're talking about you know some of the traditional narratives that that get applied to Bitcoin and crypto more generally, which is that the the industry or these assets, particularly Bitcoin, are in some way sort of immune to the daily happenings of politics and, and the traditional financial system. I look that, that couldn't be further from the truth, in my opinion. We see repeatedly whenever there has been a, a major political issue or problem that is that has in some way impacted Bitcoin, we see that reflected negatively in the price charts. And this is just the latest example in a long line of those examples. So um, whether or not we're entering a bear market, I don't know. I think more interestingly for me, one of the things I watch closely in this industry is where the, the the mining the share of the mining industry is going and obviously as we mentioned earlier in china there was this big crackdown last year um and different countries including kazakhstan sort of picked up the scraps it might be the case that miners again leave kazakhstan now leave an, an additional jurisdiction because of this political unrest again this is all speculative we have to see where you know where things fall but if that happens then you know you mentioned the united states would stand likely to be the biggest benefactor of that because they own or control, I should say, the largest chunk of the mining industry right now globally, uh, and Russia is is third. So you know, 
perhaps Russia will overtake Kazakhstan in the coming weeks and months if this results in some sort of long-term substantive um, exodus of miners from Kazakhstan. But again, that all remains to be seen. You know, one other story that I really want to you know, touch on with you is the uh, ASA in the UK um, mm-hmm. and the ads that have been banned in the UK. And I think that this is a super interesting story <laughs> because they're pre- pretty much a revolving around crypto.com and crypto.com is making this huge push for advertising and marketing. Obviously we know that they bought the rights to the Staples Center, which is now the crypto.com arena. They, they got Matt Damon to do a ad for him and that one couldn't have been cheap, but obviously to see Matt Damon talking about, you know, fortune favors the bold uh, in a crypto.com ad, it was, it, it was very, uh, it was viral. It was powerful. It was, you know, influential. It, you could see that the money that in, in the, uh, commitment that they're having to this and they're running ads obviously in the uk in in many different places we're going to go into that in a minute where these ads are but the asa is saying that this is this is not cool and they are telling them to pull these ads so can you go and tell us a little bit about that story sir well these these ads have been banned now um that they won't be appearing again essentially but what what had happened was just span back a little bit the asa stands for the uh well it's the uk's advertising standards authority uh, and they are, as you can probably assume, the regulatory authority for advertising in the United Kingdom. Um, and these two ads, one of which appeared in the Daily Mail, which is one of the biggest newspapers in, in the country, another appeared on a, a popular sort of iPhone game app, um, they generated a few concerns for the ASA. It was five specifically. And I'll just run through those. So the first was that the, the ASA felt that the ads were misleading because they failed to illustrate the risk of crypto investments. Um, they were irresponsible uh, because they took advantage of consumers in experience in crypto. Uh, specifically, the Daily Mail ad was misleading because it failed to make clear limitations on purchasing crypto with credit cards. And then the fourth and fifth um, concerns that the ASA had were with regard to a claim that appeared on the ads that um, users would be able to earn up to 8.5% um, on crypto. And the ASA was of the view that this was misleading and that the claim had also not been substantiated by crypto.com. So those were the the five concerns that the ASA had. And again, spanning back further again, this is not the first time that the ASA has has taken uh, a bit of a critical eye at crypto. Uh, They're investigating some Floki Inu ads that appeared on London public transportation a few months ago. Uh, They've cracked down hard on on, uh, football club fan tokens or, you know, for our American listeners, soccer club fan tokens, uh, Arsenal Football Club, which is one of the biggest football clubs in, in the UK or soccer clubs in the UK. Um, they had advertisements for their uh, fan tokens banned by the ASA recently as well. And they've gone after companies that exist within the crypto industry and also, you know, completely detached essentially from the crypto industry that happen to be running crypto ads. For example, Papa John's, the popular pizza chain. Uh, Coinbase has been embroiled in in concerns with the ASA before and so is eToro. So so there's a there's a there's a pretty wide um widely cast net about the ASA's concern with regard to crypto and advertising in the UK. You know those those are uh, very good points. I'm really happy that you put down those uh five checkpoints where they're looking at when it comes to uh risk and responsibility of the ads are they misleading and so on and so forth and i just want to really quick just juxtapose it with marketing and advertisement in general are we actually looking at crypto in the same frameworks as we are looking at other say um ads or advertisements do you think that they're applying the same duty of care or rules if you will to the crypto industry especially since you know we were talking offline about gambling being legal in the uk and there's gambling ads Uh, do you feel that these are 
are being applied by the ASA fairly across the board uh, when it comes to the marketing practices of every other, or do you think that they're mm-hmm. targeting crypto specifically and maybe unfairly? I, I wouldn't say that they're targeting crypto un- unfairly, far from it. I think that the, there's a there's a very useful distinction to have here, which is you know the 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 dichotomy that's always put forward in this kinds of these kinds of conversations, as you mentioned, was gambling. In the UK, there's a vital distinction to be made between gambling and crypto and the crypto industry, namely that gambling is regulated. The, any activity of gambling or any service that provides gambling, like like a casino, that comes under the remit of the Gambling Commission. So it's a regulated activity. In the UK, crypto is not regulated. The FCA, which is the financial services regulator, in the, uh, has said repeatedly that crypto is not regulated, and the the upshot of that is essentially that if consumers were to, <coughs> I beg your pardon, if consumers were to experience some you know significant losses or if they happen to be misled by an advertisement you know subject of our conversation here then they don't really have any 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 recourse for complaints they can't go to the financial services regulator they can't go to an ombudsman to make their claim that they've been unjustly treated so i think given that the um asa has been particularly concerned with regard to how crypto ads are communicated to the British public, precisely because this is an industry, as I said, that, that is un, still unregulated. And really, if you look at the way that the FCA has, has dealt with, um, you know, some of the biggest companies in the crypto industry, like Binance, there is really no evidence to suggest that um, the industry is going to become more widely regulated in the UK in the near future. Okay, so what, do you think that a quick a uh, solution for the UK, and I think that we probably should do it all over the globe since crypto isn't going anywhere. We might be in a bit of a, a drop right now when it comes to price, but I don't see it destroying the industry and everybody saying, oh, crypto, that was a good thing, you know, <laughs> and walking <laughs> away from it. A, a crypto commission and, and a way for people to have more, uh, one for the governments or the regulators to really look in, in and niche in on crypto and also a way for or a place for the consumers to air grievances about certain things would that not be the, a prudent first step without just going to say ban 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 yeah i mean it definitely would be a, a a good step i think that you know one of the most deeply ideological debates that we see every day within the crypto industry is whether or not regulation is a good thing i am very firmly in the camp that it is a good thing and that it should be regulated precisely for some of the reasons that you've just that you've just implied that there were more than implied that it should be possible for people to have more robust consumer protection laws and to enjoy those laws and those protections. So I, I would certainly say so. I don't think it's necessarily um, you know, best achieved by some the creation of a new slash bespoke organization that is like a crypto commission. I think that you know in the UK the Financial Conduct Authority would be the the uh, the the organization in question that that would pick this up really. Um, but again there's there's there appears to be very little political will from the regulators, at least in the UK. Um, but we also have seen what Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, has been saying in the States about crypto. It appears that across the board, there's been a lot of um, concern with regard to how regulators touch this very, you know, it, it's still a very nascent industry. People that are in here might, you know, be accustomed to have been there for a few years, but, you know, still barely a decade old. So I think that, you know, we, it, it's fairly understandable to see that regulators are still quite unsure and quite tentative about what they're going to do with the industry. But yeah, if you ask me, you're asking me my personal opinion, I think that, you know, it would be a net positive for everybody if the crypto industry was much more widely regulated, but that's just my view. 
Moving into our last topic today, you mentioned political will. And I think political is the word we're going to uh, touch on here. Maybe not the will, will here. Yeah, you know, I try to get these segues in there. So that's why I have my little piece of paper in front of me. And I write little notes like, ooh, there's a word I can use to segue this. You, you wrote a piece yesterday entitled, One Year After Capitol Hill Riot, Far Right's Love Affair with Bitcoin Persists. I got a lot of emails, DMs about this article. It was... So <laughs> as you probably as we probably would and the the nutshell uh, of these comments and, e- and emails and, and dms was that decrypt and you specifically i'm saying you because you are the one that usually spearheads the articles about the far right and white supremacy when it comes to uh nazis and them taking uh, cryptocurrency or bitcoin and they're saying that this is all uh, usually an unfair portrayal because this is just a fringe use case of you know the crypto space out of the 99.9 percent of what's happening in the crypto space, there is just this 1.1% that is, you know, of the volume, which is called volume or total market cap, going to um, these fringe uh, right groups or even far left groups, uh, you know, one way or the other. And I don't want to take, I'm not taking a political side right here. I'm just bringing up the conversation and I want to put going record saying the Nazis are bad. Okay. So everybody, <laughs> Nazis are bad. Um, we'll get that out of the way. Yeah. You just got to get that out of the way. Uh, but, you know, by doing this, you're, we are perpetuating this negative image of cryptocurrency in the crypto space instead of niching down or really de- delving into what good the crypto space is doing. And we're not just talking about uh, JPEG prices or up or down or moon or Lambos, but actually the economic foundational issues that are trying to be addressed by deflationary currencies. Instead, of, and we, we keep going to these, you know, really clicky or uh, emotion-driven articles about these real fringe use cases. And people are saying that it's unfair, uh, an unfair representation of the crypto space. What do you say to that? And can you explain the article that you written? Yeah, well, um, first of all, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's unfair because it's, it's truthful. That, that would be the first thing I would say. Um, and if, if I could sort of, well, first I'll explain the article and then we can divide, divide the conversation between two parts of the, 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 the issue of this being a fringe issue interested me. And also, you know, the question about, you know, the portrayal of the crypto industry, that's another useful conversation. But before I, I delve into those things, I'll, I'll, um, I'll explain the article. But essentially what, what, what this was, was a, a year in review of sorts about the now long line of evidence that is, that has come to light of how white supremacists and neo-Nazis and other members of what is broadly dubbed the far right are using cryptocurrencies to to offer them a an economic and financial lifeline when traditional payment methods have become difficult or impossible. So one example that we've discussed on this podcast previously that I always think of when I think of the subject is Andrew Anglin. He is the founder of a neo-Nazi website called The Daily Stormer. Uh, and an investigation last year found that he had received about $5 million worth of Bitcoin um, from the time of the investigation being published, which was September 2021, all the way back to January 2017. And he actually credited Bitcoin with being the reason why the Daily Stormer had been financed for four years. So that's one sort of marquee example that I always like to, to cite. And we're talking about yesterday was January 6th, obviously the, the year anniversary of the Capitol Hill riot. Um, another example that's, that, that features in this article is um, this now deceased French donor who provided $500,000 worth of Bitcoin and sent it across about 22 different crypto addresses 
that belong to, again, members of the far right. One example is Nick Fuentes, who's a white supremacist, who was present at the Capitol last year, the day of the riot. So those are just two examples. Uh, and the, the article continues and, and speaks to people on both sides of the aisle about whether or not cryptocurrencies are a net positive for society or if they facilitate too much of, of, of these bad actors and their illicit activities. So that, that, that's in, in, a, in, you know, in a short summary what the article is about. And to go on to the two subjects that, that you raised earlier, the first one about this being a fringe issue, um, I readily accept that. That is absolutely true. The vast majority of people that use Bitcoin are not white supremacists and neo-Nazis, far from it, and I would never make that claim. Um, but an analogy that would, I think, be helpful here would be, imagine a, a hypothetical airline that we can just, for the sake of argument, just pretend exists now. And um, it, it, you know, 5% of its flights every year fly into mountains and kill everybody on board. That would be a fringe event. Statistically speaking, it's it's well within the minority. Most people that fly on this airline, you know, arrive at their, their destinations and live happily ever after. But that does not mean that those fringe events are not newsworthy. They absolutely are newsworthy and they are deserving of, 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 of journalistic attention. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, and then secondly, and I say this, you know, because I'm, I'm aware of, as I said, I, I got that reader feedback as well yesterday. And I'm aware of how controversial this article may have been, but I say this without trying to be controversial, without trying to be uh, provocative, but it just simply isn't my job or anybody, any other journalist's job to make the crypto industry look good or to make it easier for the crypto industry to reach the, you know, the lofty goals of, of mainstream adoption. Our jobs are just to report the facts and report what happens in the crypto industry. And whether that paints the industry in a positive or a negative light is frankly not really our concern. We're just here to publish the truth and publish what happens. And the fact of the matter is there is a lot of evidence to suggest, not suggest, to prove that white supremacists and neo-Nazis just like Andrew Anglin have used Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies like Monero to serve as an economic lifeline for their illicit actions and, and, and to gain traction with their followers. So that's really what that article is about. And, you know, I, I think it's a, a very newsworthy piece and I'm glad it got shared so widely yesterday. <laughs> well, you, the, the title did get the clicks like you wanted it to. Um, so, <laughs> so I guess I guess you're you're doing your job for decrypt at least. Uh, but <laughs> let me let me and and, and I, I say that in tongue in cheek. You know, I'm, I I don't uh, I respect you as a journalist and the job that you do. Um, however, there are and so that that's just there's no however that's that Scott. Love you, man. <laughs> no, I know. So we're talking about you know. So feedback. then there's <laughs> then there's the, uh, the other part of just like the news in general and and like mm -hmm. the media and I guess this is I guess the frustration about people with um, just media outlets and now that we have it in uh, like media outlets that are specifically for crypto and there's a, a lot of them uh, there are major ones we are one of the major ones and we're i guess uh, people are wondering the motives is it for clicks is it for hype you know it, you said that there's mm -hmm. this is a fringe again if we're talking about a, a left issue for example climate change uh the bitcoin mining energy consumption is a uh, an issue that is brought up you know disproportionately to the vast good that is being done in the crypto space so if you look at the crypto space in general we hear a lot of the narratives that are obviously used for not only clicks from media companies because it gets eyes on pages but also paints the crypto space in a or gives gives people a the fodder to paint the crypto space in a negative light for example climate issues uh white supremacy and 
moon boys and Ponzi schemes, right? So <laughs> we have so if those are the majority of the articles or a, a good a good lot of the articles that come out mm-hmm. of the crypto news agencies in air quotes or mm-hmm. in, in whatever, um, are we actually doing a well-rounded job of highlighting this? I guess I want to call it a either a thought experiment or a movement or a technology or innovation of trying to get the economic structures of the world right. And I think that's the underlying goal of, say, at least Bitcoin. I'm not saying maybe JPEGs, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I like Bitcoin. how you're calling them JPEGs. <laughs> <laughs> or and it, fine. And it, well, NFTs is such a broad term. I, I just want to make sure that we're not, you know, <laughs> we, we are we are separating, you know, a JPEG from the NFT and what NFTs can be used for, as they heard on the yeah, show true, before. True. NFTs, the, the, like somebody came on the show, uh, uh, I think probably about a month ago, they said the best use case for NFTs are going to be stuff like that you use every day. If it's going to be your, uh, your driver's license, your passport, things like that, that you're going to just say, hey, this is a non-fungible token. This is, you know, uh, some kind of whatever. We could go into some other time. But uh, I'm so I'm just wondering, what's the job of the media? Are, are we actually having that fair, balanced outlook on, on what's happening in the crypto space? And are we actually disproportionately writing clickbaity articles that, you know, get clicks and incite more than we actually write to in, enlighten? I can ultimately only really speak for myself and my colleagues at Decrypt as well to a, to a large degree that we don't we don't publish things because they're going to get clicks or just because, or, or for some you know secret editorial motivation to you know to 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 cast the the crypto industry in a bad light or to or to cast it in a positive light we only publish stories that we consider to be newsworthy things that are newsworthy the best way that i could define that would be things that are within the public interest now to go back to this story, which is what started this discussion, essentially, which is that there are multiple white supremacist organizations and individuals and neo-Nazi individuals and organizations that are using crypto. That is absolutely within the public interest. That's a story that is, that is, I would say, objectively newsworthy. Again, just to, to sort of reiterate, whether or not that paints the crypto industry in a positive or a negative light, Again, I'm not trying to be sort of facetious or dismissive, but that is just genuinely not the concern of a journalist. That's not what our jobs are. Um, if if that's if that's a problem for those who are invested in the crypto industry becoming bigger than it already is and, and seeing more wide, widespread adop- adoption, my view would be, or my suggestion would be, to you know play a role in making sure that this doesn't happen anymore, or at least happens to a lesser degree than it's currently happening. The same would go for the uh, the issue that you raised there with regard to climate change. Uh, it is true, uh, the facts are there, again, the science is out really on this, that Bitcoin consumes an immense amount of electricity every year and therefore results in it having a, a really sizable carbon footprint, which is a problem for Bitcoin. It's a problem for the wider crypto industry. And I think it's fair to say that it's a, it's a major obstacle to, again, widespread adoption, all the other things that we hear from the industry that, you know, that, 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 that folks in crypto would like to see happen. Um, that just by virtue of the fact that it's an obstacle to wider adoption does not mean that it's something that we should not cover. I know that you're not saying this, but I'm just saying we're having this conversation hypothetically. Like it's, it's, um, it's newsworthy that Bitcoin is, is um, contributing to climate change and that it's got a major carbon footprint, that it consumes more energy than most of the world, most of the world's countries. And again, if that portrays Bitcoin in a, in a negative light, well, then so be it. You know, and then there are other stories that we write that I've written many times before. You mentioned earlier about the uh, 
you know, the 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 sort of the relationship between crypto and traditional finance. One one story that you reminded me of when you mentioned that was I wrote this quite a long time ago now, many months ago. There was a a person whose name eludes me, but he was um, erecting these billboards of crypto graffiti across the biggest um, cities in the United States, and those billboards were sort of um, enticing people to think about the legacy issues in in traditional finance, like inflation and the the rapid devaluing of the dollar. The, you know the typical talking points that we hear in crypto. Um, and we wrote that story. I we ran it at Decrypt. I wrote it. I thought it was a great story. It was really interesting. And you could argue that that paints the crypto industry, or at least intends to paint the crypto industry, not by my intention as a writer, but by the actions of that person. He's trying to elevate the public perception of the industry. And we wrote that too, because it's newsworthy, not because it painted the industry positively or negatively. The same with this story. It just if something is newsworthy and if it's in the public interest, it will be written. And the the, the fallout in terms of reputational consequence of the industry should not be the concern of a journalist. My last question and my last, uh, you know, back and forth with this, I guess, conversation mm-hmm. and debate is first, I want to make a statement is I, I'm just asking questions. So I, I want to put this in the podcast because I am running for political office. Yeah, yeah. So trying to get to the truth and having a well-rounded conversation is obviously sometimes not the best thing to do if you're running for political office. But I like to have <laughs> these conversations uh, about trying to get to the truth or try to get to at least just to have these conversations to talk about it. Yeah. And, and I want to ask the uh, uh, the question is, do you think that the crypto space is getting its fair shake? Do you think that people are driving down on crypto unfairly in in relation to different markets that are out there. For example, um, other emerging technologies or EVs, for example, EVs obviously Mm -hmm. are going to use way more power uh, than Bitcoin mining, uh, yet they're not getting the same scrutiny as a Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. We are not having, as I saw in The Economist today, um, I listened to The Economist Daily uh, (laughs) podcast, they had a, a snippet in there that talked about OpenSea's valuation. And mm. then they said cryptocurrency crime is up. But I have never heard a news article or a snippet in a daily news or a podcast that said Tesla sold more cars in Q- Q4 and now more criminals are driving Teslas <laughs> or drug dealers are driving Teslas or Teslas are be- Tesla's quick zero to 60 times <laughs> are be- being used as getaway cars for bank robberies. I haven't heard that. Obviously, there. If you look, there's probably one person that bought a Tesla Model Plaid and sped away from a bank robbery uh, because it's super quick. But we don't hear that. Do you think that the crypto industry is getting a fair shake when it comes to the probing and the negative, uh, uh, I guess, relations that we're trying to mix or connect with this via the mainstream media and the whatever what is, uh, I guess, uh, consumable to uh, the readers? Uh, short answer is yes. I don't think, and and the more the yes, better. they are getting a fair shake. That's what you mean. Yes, yes, and I I, I think that you know the more scrutiny, the better. I, I I'm a fan of every industry coming under scrutiny as much as possible, and if an industry thrives under said scrutiny, it deserves to, and that that's my short answer. Um, when it comes to you know why I think this might be happening, why we see those those sort of you know for want of a better phrase, negative headlines about. Uh, Bitcoin's carbon footprint or crypto crime is on the up, things of this sort. And you paint, you you compare them to maybe, you know, as you mentioned, EVs and Tesla. Um, I think the reason why we see a potential discrepancy there is because, and I'm not, I'm not trying to give my own personal view here, but I, and I'm again, I'm not trying to be provocative. It's just my my genuine observation of the of you know the dynamics surrounding crypto. 
that take Tesla and take EVs. Cars are obviously now uh, firmly embedded in the way of modern life. Everybody needs, you know, society needs cars to function. We don't want to go back to a world where we don't have cars. Um, as a result of that, I'm making a very basic premise there, but because of that, we, as a society, culturally or politically, take the, the environmental hit of that innovation. I would say, I think it's fair to say that the majority of people in the majority of countries are not sold on the utility of cryptocurrencies or the wider crypto industry more generally. So therefore, when you see, um, when you encounter these, again, I'm not saying these are just negative headlines. These are, these are facts. When you see these negative problems that come out of the crypto industry, the fact that Bitcoin has, uh, uh, or that it has, it, it consumes more energy than most countries and results in a, a, a a big carbon footprint or the fact that there are bad actors utilizing cryptocurrencies for their illicit activity when you see those things a lot of people will react to those headlines by saying well we're 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 eating these bad problems we're stomaching these bad problems and for what in return and the what in return is essentially you know what objective utility do cryptocurrencies provide and i'm not trying to say that they do or that they don't i'm just trying to relay my understanding of you know the public discourse on crypto and it seems to me as though for most people cryptocurrencies do not provide a net positive objective benefit to society and because of that there's a lot less patience when you know involved in readers or in commentators when they see these very real problems coming out of the industry um and you know rightly or wrongly whether or not that's a, a, a fair way to deal with this industry in comparison to others is probably a you know requires a bit more of a conversation but that i think is the reason why we see you know that those those sort of discourses and narratives come out on social media and in public and what have you and we can waffle on about this for all all day uh but i want the listeners to know that they can email us you can email me at matthew aaron at decrypt.co and scott at scott at decrypt.co um mm -hmm. cc both of us with your opinions i'll put them on air i think that this is a very important conversation that we are having right now about the role in media when it comes to emerging technologies and the the i guess the narratives that's built around these technologies especially since we are in a time in our in world's history of immense innovation and yet immense problems because of said innovation that we really need to discuss and break that down into to figure out how to move forward with a lot of technology. And I'm not just talking about crypto. I'm talking about social media. I'm talking about you know climate change and carbon footprints. I'm talking about everything. And so please, if you have an opinion on this or just the, the state of things in general or you know media in general <laughs> if you have an opinion <laughs> if you have an opinion in general uh email us matthew aaron at decrypt.co and scott at decrypt.co scott chipolino writer for decrypt thank you very much for coming on the show and talking with me thank you cheers matthew thanks very much thank you for listening to this episode of the decrypt daily my name is matthew deemer i'll be back tomorrow with our weekend update in between now and then please go to spotify there's a new little rating system there you can rate this show please rate it five stars. Get our rating up there so people know that this is a good place, a good stop for crypto news and discussions. And until tomorrow, happy hodling everyone, but don't look at your portfolio. <laughs>